Well, what a marvelous service so far. The slideshow at the beginning of the service, you had a chance to see a number of the families who have adopted from throughout Desert Springs congregation and uh, those who are in the process of adopting. It's neat to see those faces. Um, there, is, there are faces to orphan care, to adoption, and we care about all of them. It's exciting to see what God is doing here. I've had the chance in preparing for the sermon to correspond with a number of families from throughout our church who have adopted to get their something of their story, to learn a little bit about how God has mediated his care for the orphan through members of our church. I wanted to read to you from one of those emails about several of the adoptive children in our church that belong to this family. Our first baby was left orphaned when her mother died during her delivery. Our second child was abandoned the day after his birth in a small town in Mexico. The expected normal future for both of our children would have been that they became household servants at best. Elite families in this country claim they, quote, adopt these orphans. But as we saw with our own eyes, they would have lived in sheds in the backyard, alone and not educated, not clothed as the other children in the families. And these precious kids would spend their days working in the home. Our third child came to us by way of birth mother, who was about to have an abortion. My sister gave the family pamphlets from a crisis pregnancy center, and they became convinced that abortion was wrong and that adoption was wrong, uh, an option, and that uh, was wrong and not an option. Instead, the birth mother came to live with us for the five months left of her pregnancy. She also became a believer in Christ during that time. How God used that time was just like watching a miracle daily. It was just as incredible it was just an incredible time for us all and the 14 years later we write to the birth mom at least once a year and she consistently tells us that she knew it was God that was doing this to bring her to himself all along. Well the world is a dangerous place for children and it has always been a dangerous place as long as there have been children. Remember Adam plunged the human race into sin and into death. There weren't any children yet. Their first children were born into a world with sin and death. The only parents that have ever been have been parents as sinners. And in this fallen world, sometimes uh, parents die. Children are born into a situation where they have no parents upon birth. And those children need families. There are children who are born into families where they'll experience and do experience abuse physically, sexual abuse. The state rightly should take those children from those homes, and those children need homes. Foster care is an appropriate next place for them, and for many of them, adoption. There are some children whose mothers and fathers do not believe that they exist, and have convinced themselves of this so that they can eliminate their life by abortion. There are some children whose mothers love them, but are under pressure from all sides, family, friends, to abort their child, maybe to save face in the community, maybe in their own church. Those unborn children deserve our defense, our clear and persuasive and convincing defense of the legitimacy and the reality of their lives as image-bearing human beings in utero. So, orphans come in many different situations, don't they? But they need parents. Orphans need parents. 
Um, here's a quote from the third century about the Christian, about, uh, the plight of orphans, children. Although keeping parents in curlews, the pagans, do not receive the orphan child, rather they expose children who are born at home and yet take up the young of birds. Children have always been in a dangerous situation in this world. Our text this morning is James chapter 1, verses verse 27. So open your Bibles and turn to the book of James. The book of James is about six books from the far right of your Bible. If you're not unfamiliar with it, open to Revelation, the last book. Write about six books, and there is the book of James. We'll be in the first chapter, and the 27th verse will be uh, what the sermon is an exposition of, actually a part of that verse. But we're going to look at the surrounding verses to understand what's happening in verse 27, so we'll read from verses 16 through 27. James chapter 1, verses 16 through 27. The Holy Spirit writes through James, the brother of Jesus. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and, does it, and not a doer, he is like a man looking intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, But a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Well, these are like James's marks of a healthy church. Marks of a healthy Christian, of a healthy gathering of God's people, the church, if you will. He's not saying all there is to say about what it is to be a Christian. These are like the fruits of the Christian life. These are like what happens to theology when you put skin on it. Orphan care. Purity of thought. We could summarize the two things that uh, he says here. In this way, first, outwardly, God's people mediate God's love for the most vulnerable and tangible ways, the widow, the orphan. And secondly, inwardly, God's people reflect his holiness in our thoughts and in our affections. James is doing what we might call practical theology. This is what happens to theology when you let it cook long enough in the human heart. The essence of our religion, the essence of Christianity is not what we do. We do not become Christians that way. It is what Christ has done for us on the cross and in living and dying and being raised for us. But this is the kind of thing that we do. James says that faith without works is dead and that faith that is able to save a person is the kind of faith that shows up in good works. One of those being a care for the vulnerable, a care for the orphan. Well, this morning we're going to focus on 
the orphan part of James 1.27 to understand how this happens. How do we come to love orphans? How is it that true religion can be described as visiting orphans and widows in their affliction? And let's just be clear that it's not just visiting as in stopping by to say hi and maybe bringing some cookies. Or This is meeting the needs in tangible ways of the vulnerable. So how is it that we can come to care for orphans? Well, in a sentence, in a sentence, the simple answer is orphan care is what happens when we believe the gospel. Orphan care is what happens when we believe the gospel. And this morning, we're going to look around this passage in the book of James to understand how it is that that comes about, how it is that the gospel works in our hearts to bring about a thing like a love for the afflicted a love for the orphan. Well, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, hopefully this time in this text will help you to not misunderstand what's happening here. You saw on the screens dozens, I think, of faces of families who have decided to adopt. This is not, as Jason said in the interview, a means of earning God's favor or becoming right with him, but it is an overflow of his grace in our lives. And we would want you to understand that. If you are in the process of, if the Lord is in the process of bringing you to adopt an orphan, to foster a child, or strategically defend an unborn child, this passage will help you understand and explain how this has come about in your own heart and direct your praise toward God for his grace in your life. Because it is his grace in your life that has made that to happen. And for those of you who have adopted or are fostering a child, this will help you share the reason for the hope that is within you that has welled up into this expression of gospel life toward an orphan. One of our adoptive families I was corresponding with this week wrote this about the opportunities that their adoption has afforded to share the gospel. They've been surprisingly blessed in the open door adoption is given to sharing my faith, they write. I am regularly asked by complete strangers, so what made you want to adopt? They have asked you to tell them why. It is an amazing entrance into gospel talk. My daughter is a more effective than any tract. I loved the way that that was said because it is true. Adoption and all of our care for the vulnerable, all of our outward expressions of gospel life are a means to pointing upward to God and what he has done by his grace in our hearts. And what is adoption but a tangible expression of that that follows you around and goes with you everywhere and is a part of the life of this church? I think that was well put and it's true. So how do we come to love orphans? Orphan care is something that happens when we believe the gospel. How does that come about? Let's look around our text to see what we can find about how the gospel works. First, we come to care for orphans when the gospel changes our identity. We've been talking about identity lately. Ryan's first sermon uh, in his exposition of the book of Colossians was on Christian identity. Well, it's coming up here because it comes up everywhere in the Bible. Who are we as the people of God? 
makes all of the difference for what we do and what we think and how we act and how we live. And so identity is tied to any kind of doing thing in the Christian life. And it's a part of this as well. We come to care for orphans when the gospel changes our identity. Let's look at verses 16 through 18 together. James writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We can care for orphans because we have been visited in our affliction. The people that James is writing to are the people who have been, by God's will, brought forth, he says, by the word of truth. They have been, other language in the Bible, born again, made new creatures, regenerated by the Spirit, brought forth by the word of truth. They have been born again. And what is this word of truth that James speaks of? He's using some words interchangeably throughout the the book. Royal law, word of truth. It's the word, what is it but the word of the good news of Jesus Christ? That God is saving sinners from sin, from death, and from hell. And it's by God's word that he brings new life to each of us and raises us from the dead, as it were. Born again. But notice that not only is it birthing language that, Paul, that sorry, James uses here to describe what it is to be a Christian, our identity, it's also adoption language. Notice how he addresses his readers. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. He refers to them this way three times throughout the letter. And remember in our main verse, verse 27, religious that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, James writes. He's not just using this casually as though he's found a good, a good way to relate something of the relationship between us and God and with one another. Those are the relationships that we have with God and with one another. In Romans 8, 15 through 7, Paul writes that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are born again and we are adopted and we should and can think of ourselves in those categories. My wife and I have had the great honor of adopting two children. We started the adoptions at about the same time, at the same time, uh, but the planes landed at about six months different. We were able to pick up our daughter last August and our son this last February. Well, when we visited to pick up our daughter in August, um, we spent a whole week just Christy, I, Madeline, or Yabsera was her name, and Carson, Henock was his name, in a little room. And it was bananas. Um, it was like zero to 120 uh, in no time flat. We picked him up and went right to the place where we were staying, and there we were. Uh, it's where I changed my first diaper. I remember volunteering to do it, and it was a blowout. And I was like out of the room. Uh, I've come around. So it was a... It's a precious week. It's a precious week to us. Um, but we noticed right away that our kids were just very different from one another. They, they slept in the same pack and plan. We'd wake up, and Madeline was just 
tumbling around and making faces at Carson. And he had scooched to the corner of the pack and play and just kind of looked at her. And she was just, if you've met my daughter and when she's like this, she's just nuts. And she's full of energy. She's a spaz, great girl, at social. Every woman she met was her mommy. She had as many mommies as women that she met. Well, that's, you know, this is something, this is a kind of affliction that orphans have, isn't it? They don't know who they belong to. And some of them deal with it that way. Carson was straight-faced, subdued, flat, totally unentertaining. And uh, I thought, he's going to be the reader. He'll probably be smart. He'll, uh, you know, he can sit still for a long time and do one thing, Madeline, We'll do something else. You know, uh, she'll plan all the parties. Uh, Different kids. Well, Carson, we think, had a hard time attaching. At the end of the week, he started to crack some smiles, and we could get him to light up a little bit. We kind of learned his buttons, and he was loosening up. It was a sweet thing to watch. Well, at the end of that week, when we were going to take Madeline home, we had to take Carson back to his home, where he was staying with some other orphans. It was night. This was one of the days where, because the electricity is on and off every other day there to save power, there's only so much, power's off. Walked into this transition home, pitch black. Little candles lit to orphans were around to playing and doing things. And Carson let out a scream when we walked in. Like I had not heard, and like I have not heard from him, ever. We've heard screams that approach this, but this was not like anything. It was just terror, terror. He didn't have words for it. I think Carson was experiencing, had experienced something that week that he was made to know, and that is the love of a mother and a father. And his words for what to do when that disappears is a scream that doesn't stop. And he didn't, and we left. And, uh, but we came back to get him, uh, Praise the Lord, they're both home now. So adoption is not something that we do because we're adopted. Orphan care is not. We are born again, we are also adopted. We have God's love, his discipline, his comfort, his protection, and the inheritance of King Jesus. We do not care for orphans to become God's children. We do this thing because we are God's children. Now let's try to make the connection between who we are, our identity, and what we do. What's the relationship of what God has done for us in making us his children in the gospel and what we do as his sons? Look with me. is how God spoke to his people, Israel, under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 10, 14 through 19. Behold, to the Lord God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is a great God and a Lord of lords. The great and mighty and the awesome God who is not partial or takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Watch who God is and what he's done, who we are for that reason, and what we're to do because of that. Another verse, a little later in Deuteronomy 24, 17 through 22. 
You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work of your hands. When the beast of your olive, when the when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. You shall remember, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. How much more? For those of us who know an exodus from the bondage of sin, should we reflect the heart of God and love toward the afflicted? We have been visited in our affliction. Some things just come naturally to us as God's, as just come naturally to us in life. Some of us are just born probably better to do math than others. That's some of you. I was not born to do math. Uh, could have been better at it with more discipline, but it did not come naturally. did not enjoy it. Some of us have things that come natural to us because of kind of where we grew up and who raised us, who our parents were, our mother, our father. Piano, maybe you play the piano. Maybe your mom played piano. Maybe she played it in front of you and maybe you played it. She signed you up for lessons. Maybe, maybe you're into football. You and your dad watched football and then he played football with you and then signed you up for football and then coached your team. And you, Football comes natural to you. You don't think a lot about it. It's a part of your life. Well, there are some things that come naturally to us because of whose influence we've been under. That something that comes natural doesn't mean it doesn't require sacrifice or investment or energy. Things that come natural to us don't require coercion or force or guilt to do, even if they do require sacrifice and investment and great energy. As the people of God, one of those things that should come naturally for us is caring for orphans, caring for the afflicted, the vulnerable. Caring for the vulnerable and adopting are not foreign concepts. They define us. They are so natural to us as they are at the heart of our identity. And notice the warning that James gives three times against being deceived as to who we are. Notice verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Notice verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And notice verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James would have remembered what Jesus said when he spoke of judgment. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in person and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We are in Christ, but we are being conformed to his image. And that's why we need warnings against being deceived. 
Brothers and sisters, care for the afflicted, care for the orphan, care for the widow, care for the vulnerable. Do not be deceived. There's some kind of experience that parents of biological children have that Christy and I don't have as parents of adoptive children. I just have no idea what it is. In every way, my son is my son and my daughter, my daughter. And I think they would say the same thing. When we care for orphans, because God has changed our identity, he has visited us in our affliction. And in adoption, sonship is a reality, no less than sonship by any other means. Well, that's the first point, and it's the longest. The gospel changes our identity. Second, the gospel changes our view of humanity. Look with me to verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. We should not take it for granted that we think human beings are special. We do. And we know why. We don't, we don't think they're special irrationally so. A lot of people think that humans are special. They don't eat humans, but they'll eat an animal. And, but they don't have like a reason for it. We know why. If human beings are merely advanced animals, why should anyone care about orphans? Why invest the resources in a potential mutation? Really? Really? If human beings experience life in cycles, dying and being reborn, experiencing in this life what they earned in the last, why be gracious and care, reach out to an orphan who may be getting what they deserve in a previous life? If human beings are only valuable for their utility, what they can provide for other human beings, do the economic benefits outweigh the costs of adoption? And if so, why make them our children? Why not just our servants? Well, praise God because of his word, we understand why parentless happens and why it's the tragic thing and the sad thing that it is because humans are special. Since we're new here, uh, people will ask us, how do you like Albuquerque? And uh, maybe they're not sure. Our, we love Albuquerque. We love it. In terms of a total beauty package, I think it's a step up from most places. Every place that I've lived, honestly. You have these beautiful mountains behind every bank and restaurant and street to remind you that our God is a rock and they change colors like a lava lamp. You've got, you wake up, uh, I woke up yesterday morning to the sound of, a loud monster breathing, and uh, I lived just around the, just across the way, and it was a balloon filled my way. It's beautiful here. Hemez, the Hemez Loop. We had family in town last week, and we did the loop. The Soda Dam, that's a cool thing. And God's creation is marvelous, isn't it? But everything that God has created, he only created as an environment for human beings who are the prize of his creation, the crown of his creation. Every human being a prince or a princess in God's world and every orphan one of those, every unborn baby a prince or a princess, the vulnerable of the vulnerable of the vulnerable, the least noticed, some we never learn about, princes and princesses of God's creation. We are made in his image. And so we bear his image and we reflect his life and his rule in the world. The preciousness of human life, though, we know, is most exalted and elevated in the gospel that tells us that God became a man in the person of Christ, put on flesh, and died for human beings. 
That any human being is in this fallen world would be without a mom and a dad is an unspeakable tragedy. And largely in part because it's in the context of those relationships that we get categories to understand the gospel. Quick word about race in light of our talking about humanity. It is not uncommon, as Christy and I speak with families who are thinking about adoption, that they acknowledge some hesitancy in moving forward or announcing to certain family because of the fact that they'll be adopting a child from another country or of a mixed race. Let me just say clearly that there are two kinds of human beings. There is the kind that is in Adam and there is the kind that is in Christ. Those are the two categories that God recognizes. And he died in the same way to make available to to human beings salvation. And those who are born again are in Christ. Categories of color are only helpful in as much as we want to talk about and think on and marvel in the beauty of God's creation in making us the way that he has as diverse as he has. If you are standing in the way of an adoption, someone else's, because of this problem that you have, shut your mouth, pray, and repent. And if you are considering not adopting for that very reason, get on your knees and do the same. Human beings, every one of them, God's precious creation and a treasure. I commend adoption to you with that warning. In my correspondence with some of our families, I learned about the kinds of afflictions that some of our former orphans in our congregation have known. And one of the former orphans, a child of one of our families, is not with us anymore. He died months after he was born. The father, adoptive father, learned about this boy when um, he was delivering babies. Um, Met our son in labor and delivery where I was delivering babies. We eventually learned that he had a terminal brain malformation and was considered unadoptable. He most likely would have gone to a long-term care facility until he passed or required long-term life support. And it's because of our view of human beings that a Christian would take in this child and love him and hold him and feed him and change him until the end of his very short and precious life. And God smiles on that. God changes our view of humanity so that we see every human being as made in God's image and every orphan as an infinitely precious treasure worthy of our greatest pursuit. We, care, we can care for orphans because they are the most beautiful thing on earth to us. It may be that you are a, a middle-aged couple. Maybe your children are getting a little older. Maybe they've left the nest and you're wondering what to do. And you're thinking about maybe traveling and there are ways to spend those years in life. How about adoption? Think about it. Uh, you may say, ah, they'll be five and I'll be 70. Not necessarily. Maybe you would adopt a 16-year-old. Do you realize that in some countries, well, usually there's, a, there's an age-out date. There is an age-out date for adoptions. Children who grow up in orphanages, who grow to learn to talk, and they, they learn things and have dreams and aspirations and desires, look forward to the day when they would be adopted, and children leave the orphanage with adoptive families who come and get them, and everyone celebrates, and they're gone, and they wait. One day, maybe they'll get the letter the word, the tap on the shoulder, an answer to their prayers. So they look forward to age 16 with anticipation and anxiety. And when that day comes, I read an article about a particular orphanage. 
the girls on their 16th birthday cry unconsolably because all that they have hoped for, rightly because God put it in their heart to hope for this, won't happen. They won't have a family. They're only a few years from being on their own. They're legally unadoptable at that age. It may be that at your age and in your situation with your experience and with your resources, this adoption is difficult. So is parenting and most things in life, work, keeping up a house. Um, But perhaps God has equipped you uniquely for something just like that. It's much more difficult to be without parents at that age. And you would have the church's support and our encouragement and God's blessing if you decide to do that. Well, the gospel changes our view of humanity so that we see every human being as made in God's image and infinitely precious. God changes our view of humanity. Three, the gospel changes what we are capable of. Look with me in verses 21 through 25. Excuse me, 22 through 25. James writes, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He says that, the doer of the word looks into the perfect law of liberty and turns around and does what he saw, does what he is required of him, reflects the glory of God in his life, visits an orphan, cares for a widow. James uses a few words interchangeably. I mentioned that law, royal law. Interesting that he calls it a law of liberty here. How is it possible for this to be a law of liberty. Think about the Old Testament. Remember all that God required of Israel with respect to the orphan and the vulnerable? Look at, um, consider all that God equipped Israel with, with which to, you would think, rightly respond in obedience. Remember the parting of the Red Sea. Oh, like how, you know, water parted and they were delivered from Egyptian slavery. Remember manna. Miraculous food from heaven. Remember statistically ridiculous victories in battle that prove that God is their God. Remember the walls of Jericho falling down after uh, walking around and blowing some horns. You would think that Israel had the equipment to obey. But look at how the prophets speak about Israel. Isaiah 21, 1, 21 through 23. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. And Jeremiah 5.28. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. That's a statement. They judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the needy. This is why the prophets spoke of a day when God would do something new, and he would put a new heart in his people and give them God's spirit, because that is what they needed to obey God and to obey him from the heart. Jeremiah 31 
31 through 33, one of the most important verses in all the Bible, mark it. Even memorize this one. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the le- when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. This kind of heart that sees God's requirements as liberating is able to do the kind of things that James says are required of Christians. We need new hearts. If you are not a converted person, if you don't know the Lord God through the Lord Jesus Christ, put your faith in him and God will regenerate your heart, give you his spirit and you'll have the spiritual ability that you would not have even if you saw God part the sea. Even if you saw towers fall at hardly doing anything but obeying his word. We can care for orphans because God has changed what we are capable of He has freed us to do so from the heart. He says, looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres. We can do just that by God's grace because of what he's done in freeing us to obey. Fourth, the gospel changes what makes us happy. Let's zero in on a word here in verse 25. Blessed. He will be blessed in his doing. The one who looks into the word and turns around and obeys is blessed in his doing. Let's focus on that word. Blessing, of course, is an overused and much abused word. Most of us just don't like to use it and we feel a little goofy when we do. It's okay. We can redeem a word, know what we mean by it, and use it when we mean it. Happy in God. The reason the doer of the word is blessed in his doing is because he's, what he is doing is walking with God. He isn't deceiving himself, but he's seeing clearly, God clearly, his world clearly, himself clearly. He's seeing God and his glory in the word. And he's expressing what he sees uh, in worship to him in his life. Jesus himself said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In the gospel, God changes what we want so that caring for orphans is a blessing to us. Some testimonies from families um, who have adopted. Uh, one of my questions was, how have you been blessed by your adoption? Just to fill this word out a little bit and what it means. So let's listen to what some of them had to say. And some of, I mean, so you can tell sometimes they don't know what to say. It's just they, they're welling up with gratefulness in what they write. We have been so blessed over and over. How can any parent express how? Our kids We're also clearly hand-designed and picked to be our kids by God. We have known over and over that he was the one to give us these blessings. Our lives are full of joy, total joy. Another one. For me, adoption is not a gift to the orphan, but to me. Who am I to deserve such incredible gifts? They are so far from perfect, but I love them so much and can't believe how much they love me. Many will say, oh, you did such an incredible thing by adopting. Are you kidding? No way. I am the one who is given an incredible gift. And God did an incredible thing for me to not only save me, but give me these two remarkably amazing children. God's grace is so overwhelming. And the stories go on, right? Um, It won't be all of our privilege to adopt, but I would just hope that 
we struggle with jealousy, you know. Um, that that's like, like that's, the, that's the right sin for us to be fighting here at DSC. Man, I wish that I was in a position where we could do that. And you pray and you fight and you position your life and your money and your decisions so that maybe that can happen. You know? And um, certainly all of us get involved in supporting those who are adopting and sharing the blessing in that way. And that is to share in a blessing, by the way. A word to those who are struggling with infertility. And I say this with um, a genuine heavy heart and no lightness. Infertility is a real loss. Cyclically, including disappointment. That's something that people don't see. Maybe no one knows that you would love to be a mother or a father. And you know what? God has put that in your heart to want that. That's from God, and it's a good thing. And you'll wrestle, and you'll trust him, and you will work to pray and have others pray for you to trust in Christ and to be satisfied in God. But it's good to recognize that that desire is from God. And he is honored and worshiped even in your longing for children. And it's okay to pursue. It's, in fact, it's a good thing to pursue medical means even to help make that possible. If my hand were to get chopped off after the service today, I would go to a doctor and try to help figure out how to fix that. It happened because of the fall and God was providential in it happening and it's okay to have it reattached. And there are some things that happen with our bodies in a fallen world where the tragedy of not being able to be fruitful and multiply uh, is a real one. And, um, and so pursuing means is, is fine and good. And um, Christy and I pursued some. And in time, we just put, uh, this would be just my advice, and this is not from the Bible, it's just, I think, good advice, just to put a date on the calendar where you pray together and say, we're going to do this, keep praying, trying, and then come this date, we're just going to do it. We'll we'll decide that the children we've been praying for are actually going to come to us by other means. It's kind of funny, you're in the, it's like, you're in the middle of, I mean, when you decide to stop pursuing biological children and to start pursuing children by adoption, you throw that switch and God's in it, but it's a big one. And it is awesome. And let me say, for Christy and I, we are fulfilled in every meaningful way as a parent. There will be, there will be losses. You won't know pregnancy. You won't know maybe some early weeks, months, even years of life with your child. But you will be blessed in your doing, I promise you. And I speak from God's word and I speak from experience that you will be blessed. And guess what? You may miss out on some of those early weeks and months of fatherhood or motherhood, but it will break your heart that so has your child missed those. So I commend adoption to you. In God's time, with the right advice and counsel, talk about it. Lastly, the gospel changes our horizon, James 1, 18. James writes, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. First fruits. The new creation is dawn, but it is not here yet. We're adopted, but we're, the Bible uses this language, we're, we're still waiting for our adoption as sons. The whole creation is groaning, waiting for the consummation of God's redemptive plan when the Lord returns and God wipes away every tear from our eyes and there's no sickness or death or pain. 
It's inaugurated and there's a flash of it in the life of this church and wherever God's people are. We're a first fruits of his creatures. And look at how James talks about this. You know, he frames what we're supposed to do and how we live in categories looking forward. Look at chapter 5, verses 7 through 8, to hear how he does this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hands. The coming of the Lord is at hands. Therefore, be patient and visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Care for the vulnerable. Defend the unborn. Foster those who cannot be with their parents because of the things that happen in their home. Get on the internet. Look around. Find faces. Find stories. Find channels to these children who are waiting and who need us. And encourage those that you speak with who are in a position to do something like this to do so. Well, we can care for orphans because we look forward to heaven. In Christ, even in our trials, James says, we lack nothing. He says we lack nothing, even in trials, so that we can overflow in grace and mercy and care to the afflicted. In orphan care, we are not bringing about the new creation, what God has promised to bring about. But we are looking forward to it. We're picturing it in the same way that Israel, uh, in her deliverance from Egypt, that event was looking forward to our and their, her deliverance from sin and slavery to sin. So all of our care for the afflicted points to what God has done for us in our affliction and looks forward to the day when he will consummate it and wipe our tears away and when there will be no death. And we will be with our Father in perfect, perfect joy. Well, orphan care is something that happens when we believe the gospel and that's some of how that works. It's what we do when we know God who does not forget the cry of the afflicted, who hates injustice and oppression, and who makes us hate injustice and oppression as well, and makes us to care for the afflicted. The orphan's need is simple in a way, isn't it? Other, other needy situations are more complicated. There are things we can do for people that actually hurt them in their need, but orphans need a parent, need a father, need a mother. Their need is for parents. And so the Christian church should be about true religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father, which includes visiting orphans, meeting them in their need. And it's not appropriate to say that every Christian's responsibility to adopt. And I mean that. I don't think that there is a hard line from this verse to that. I don't think there's a hard line from our vertical adoption from God and adopting children, just like there isn't a hard line from how we're born again and how we should have, you know, biological children. They're good on their own, and those images are a part of how we understand what's happening there. But we are called and commanded by God to care for the afflicted and the vulnerable. And who is most vulnerable but the orphan, the parentless? Who is most vulnerable and whose need are we more capable of meeting as the people of God than to open our doors and our homes, to let them in, to let them sleep, to give, to be their parents and to make them a part of our family. 
We aren't exactly the kind of people to ask questions like, do I have to? So while it's not a requirement and it isn't, like I said, what a cool thing for it to be, for there to be so many families who have adopted and are adopting and for Lord willing for us to sit here and all of us kind of wish that that could be the case. Maybe those thoughts would be the first thoughts that lodge themselves in our mind that direct us to prayer that can result in an adoption in, or an orphan care through the support of adoption. I encourage you to figure out what's going on out there in the foyer and in the, uh, in the courtyard after the service. This was written of Christians in the second century. Christians love one another. It's a historian. They do not turn away their care from widows, and they deliver the orphan from anyone who treats him harshly. He who has gives to him who has not, and this is done without boasting. That's what happens in a church where orphan care is thick. If the gospel's at the center of it, it's done without boasting, and it all rebounds to the praise of God's glorious grace. There are now 143 million orphans in the world, and there are 500,000 children in foster care in the U.S. Just some stats for you. They're important. Every one of these children, a prince or a daughter, a princess of creation, 130,000 of those in foster care are awaiting adoption. Each one of them precious to God. Each one of them a treasure. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful to you for your word. You confront us in your word, not only with commands and requirements, but with yourself. You are the orphan-loving God. You have visited us in our affliction. You made the world in the heavens and you set us in it, every human being, precious, a treasure. And as those who belong to you, who have a new heart, who have your Holy Spirit, we do the kinds of things that you would do if you were in our shoes because you actually kind of are as you're in our hearts by your spirit. So I pray that you would move us to mediate your love in this world and in so doing to point to you and your grace towards sinners in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things in gratefulness for adoption. Amen.